The season three premiere of Killing Eve is over, but we're just getting started talking about Killing Eve here on Post Show Recaps. It's the beginning of our Killing Eve coverage on Post Show Recaps. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. This is the greatest thing that's ever happened that I could just, uh, I'm pouring paprika all over myself in excitement. I'm Josh Wiggler, joined here by Jessica Lee. Jess, how are you doing, my friend? Um, I'm super pumped, Josh. I cannot wait to cover this show for our online publication, which is different from a website, FYI. Uh-huh. It is. It is. It's important to note. Uh, although uh, Bitter Pill is uh, an alternate name for post-show recaps uh, that we uh, that we abandoned somewhere along the way. It was in the mix once upon a time. Well, it was a reference clearly to all of the times we had to cover those episodes of Fear the Walking Dead <laughs> mm-hmm. when the show went way off the rails and we still were plugging away at it. So many unmentionable shows, Stragoy, as we say around <laughs> these parts. Uh, but no, this is very exciting. We are talking about Killing Eve, which is like uh, a show that without any equivocation gets a full-throated endorsement. Uh, that's very nice, Jess, because I feel like that's the first time you and I can say that about a show that we are both podcasting about at the same exact time. This is very, very exciting stuff. I want to welcome people in case they are new to Post Show Recaps because they're just looking for a Killing Eve podcast. And lo and behold, here we are. I'm Josh. Jess is Jess. We talk about The Walking Dead. The Walking Dead ended early this season. We were looking for a new thing to start podcasting about here on Post Show Recaps where we cover old TV. TV, new TV, sometimes movies, sometimes video games is a new thing. Uh, it's a really fun place to be. Hopefully you're, you've been here for a while, but if not, we're really excited to have you. And we are all new here in this space uh, to Killing Eve as a show that we're covering on Post Show Recaps. We mentioned that we were going to be covering this um, in our Walking Dead season uh, season finale-ish coverage last week. Um, we did not have time to record a proper preview show. So we're going to spend the first few minutes here uh, just like giving our takes on Killing Eve, sort of uh, establishing some bedrock for our thoughts about the show, what we think about the characters, what we think about the performances, where we left off. I think a, a little bit of recapping uh, will be useful for people who maybe did not go and do the full binge uh, or even just like, a, you know, spot check a few episodes to, to freshen their memories uh, on, on what's going on with Killing Eve. And then we'll dive in to the premiere. So it's going to take us a little bit before we get into the premiere um, in our show notes. We will make sure to include the time codes where we start talking about the premiere if that's all you want to hear about. Um, but I think it's very useful for us to just get some of these base thoughts down on paper. Um, Jessica Lease, give me the rundown on your thoughts on killing eve i mean is it worth even like if are there the people that are going to be listening to a podcast because you and i are doing a podcast together and they don't even really know what killing eve is is it worth just like establishing that from the outset what the hell is this show Uh, it might be worth it i mean we've been talking it up for the past week i think every single time you've been on a podcast you've been very high on killing eve as a concept and we are getting a lot of feedback from people yep fired up my hulu started watching it right away because you guys told us to and to that i say i'm really happy that we have that kind of power in the world and i feel like i will (laughs) only use it for good (laughs) that makes one of us Well, that's that's you know, that's why I'm here. I feel like I feel like you are the villanelle of this relationship, and I am the I am the Eve. I'm trying to kind of rein you in and keep you on the straight and narrow a little bit. So you're you're Eve Palastri. <laughs> also, you're the one that does the better impressions. So I do the impressions. I don't know about the better <laughs> impressions. You you have uh, like very wisely just like hands off that game. That's not for you. <laughs> you don't play that game. Somewhere there is. A, an amazing race recap where Dan Heaton and I both tried to do Boston Rob impressions and we both realized what a terrible mistake it was. And I have never done another impression since then. <laughs> All right. Well, that works. Uh, but but it, it is this show that's about uh, it, it, Sandra Oh is playing Eve Pilastri. She's an MI5 agent. Um, she she gets elevated to MI6 uh, through a series of violent and unfortunate events. And this woman who is this international assassin named Villanelle uh, is put on her radar. She's played by Jodie Comer. Um, she is ridiculous. She is very flamboyant in her killings. Uh, she is a psychopath. She is constantly pushing the envelope on what she can do to make her feel something. She is um, like 
uh, chronically bored. She is like maybe terminally bored is Villanelle's deal. And over the course of these uh, first two seasons, they're developing a mutual obsession with each other, a very unhealthy obsession with each other, where Sandra O's character, Eve Blastry, as Villanelle <laughs> likes to call her, uh, is, uh, is, is, is really interested in, um, in serial killers to begin with. And then Villanelle specifically is the one that really catches her attention. And Villanelle likewise gets really interested in the woman who is coming after her at first because she has such luscious hair. Uh, <laughs> huge, huge respect for Sandra O's hair game. Uh, which we all greatly appreciate. And that's like the general premise. It's a dark show. It's funny. It's violent. Uh, it's brilliantly acted. I think that that is like the biggest piece of this. That is, uh, that is probably the thing that you know, is that like this is an awards magnet for, for acting. Sandra Oh won a Golden Globe for this. She was nominated for an Emmy. Jodie Comer won the Emmy. Instead of Sandra Oh, they were simultaneously nominated and she won the Emmy. Fiona Shaw, who's phenomenal in this, she plays uh, a super spy, basically. She plays like the, 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 the head of the spy, uh, the spy agency that, that Eve ends up working for. Carolyn Martins is her character. She's so good. She's so cold. She's so calculated. She can't get angry because being angry makes her tired and sleepy. And so she will just like be very flat with her affect if she's really pissed off at anybody. It's very brilliantly acted. It's really, really smartly written. It's a different writer at the helm every year, which I think is compelling, Jess, that like by with intention, um, the, Sally Woodward Gentle is the executive producer who's who's really looking out over uh, you know the the long term continuity. But each year, it's a different person in the head writer position. First, it's Phoebe Waller Bridge of Fleabag fame, which you're going to crucify me, Jess, but I have to watch. Oh my have, god, have not done it yet. We em, Emily and I have watched uh, the first two episodes and just like life got in the way. So some at some point in this quarantine, I promise to make good on that. Um, Emerald Fennel was the was the head writer of season two. Uh, uh, and now uh, Suzanne Heathcote is uh, the showrunner for season three and Killing Eve is already renewed for a fourth season uh, world state, depending, I suppose. Uh, L- Laura Neal will be showrunning that. And she uh, is a writer on season three already, at least. I don't know if she uh, has written for seasons one and two. Um, but there is that like very intentional idea of like we want to change up the head voice every single year to help us dig deeper into the character. And I think that that really helps make everything feel very fresh. It seems like there's a lot of community amongst those head writers as well, uh, so that everybody's kind of like keeping each other honest and, and really helping each other out to make sure that we're all on the straight and narrow. Uh, and that shows the character arc work is, is just so good in this show. Uh, very, very fun binge. And I'm, I'm just thrilled to be talking about it with you, Jess. Yeah, Josh, it's the interesting thing about switching up the leadership every season is it's kind of, the idea, and there are certain authors out there that you can see this progression. Uh, their early work is very good and very compelling, and the prose is very tight. And then as they become like luminary level famous, they stop listening to their editors and yeah. they start getting a little more sloppy with their writing, and nobody can tell them what to do. And I think there's a real danger with a TV show where you reach a certain point and people stop being able to tell you how to run your show. And with this one, we switch it up every year. So it's always fresh and the, everybody is always doing their level best to keep it a great show. And I'm enjoying that. I also enjoy that it is a show that is very much about women. It is run by women and you never, you're never watching it thinking, Oh, this is a women's kind of show because it's just so spot on and so unimpeachable as a great show that you don't you don't really even notice that like you know you're not it's not tokenism it's not trying to make a capital p point about women on television it's just like oh hey we're all capable of making this great show and we're going to do it and it's going to be amazing and i think the first two seasons were just eminently bingeable for one thing. Like, yeah, you could sit down and watch them all in like a couple of days if you have nothing better to do. And let's be real. Nobody does unless you have kids. But even if you do have kids, you can get that out of the way. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I certainly did not. I was not deterred from binging this show, even though I have a small child in my house. Um, And I just a small child in your house is anything like Constantine's uh, small child. I uh, would probably greatly enjoy killing Eve. I, I think he would. Uh, I 
I, I don't know wait, what direction you're planning on grooming George, but <laughs> I did not share it with him because, you know, his father and I still have to figure out between ourselves, like how we would like him to be raised. If we want him to go down the assassin path, then certainly right. we will expose him to this very early. But I think for now we're going to hold off. Um, yeah. Because, you know, he's three. Um, yeah. But it's a hard world out there. So you just never yeah, know. It's a rough world. And <laughs> the thing that I that really struck me. Uh, watching all of this in very short order was that season one very much relied on this cat and mouse sort of game between Eve and Villanelle. And they were almost never in the same room together. And you just kind of got inside of both of their heads very separately. And then at the end, like they met a couple of times, but most of the rest of the time they would be within like a hundred yards of each other. And that was as close as they got. And then they had one terrific final scene at the end of season one together where it looked like Villanelle was dead. And of course you knew she wasn't because, you know, that's kind of the premise of the show. And then you get in season two and they get back together and then they spend huge chunks of season two in the same room together. And you think that without that tension there, it might be a very different show and it might start to feel less interesting because there's not that, you know, when will they confront each other sort of vibe. They're now working together on this project and they're they're interacting all the time. But I think it's a credit to the amazing writing and the two actors that they managed to continue to make it as tense and as interesting throughout season two. And now season three, they're apart again. And season two ended kind of the same way season one did where one of them looks like they might be dead, but you know, they're probably not because that's the show. And now it's like, okay, we had one where they were chasing each other and far apart from each other in season one. Then they were together for most of season two. And now they're very much apart. And how are they going to get back together? And what does that mean for everything that they are doing? And where are they going to take this next arc? is a very interesting question for me. There's just there's just a great sense of progression and momentum behind the show. Like the the characters are changing and they're changing like in ways that make sense. Um like they're they're just moving forward through their lives. The the bad decisions are pushing them like further to like the 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 the, the you know the, the 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 point of just like full on disaster. Uh they're making really, really, really terrible calls sometimes. Sometimes they're making excellent calls. Uh, I, I I like you, Jess. I, I binged this really quickly. I had I had watched season one, I think most of season one. I hadn't watched the whole thing. Um, and then just with with work and and getting caught up in other things, I I, I stepped away from it. And then I got assigned Killing Eve uh, for the day job at the Hollywood Reporter, where I'm going to be covering Killing Eve. I've got some interviews up already uh, with the with the team behind it. Uh, nice preview piece that we posted with uh, with um, with Sandra Oh and Jody Comer and Sally Woodward Gentle and Suzanne Heathcote. And uh, after this premiere, uh, also a a piece uh, that's running down like the thing, uh, which we will talk about very very soon the thing i know jess has something she would like to say about the thing we will get there soon i promise you um but i i watched it really quick once i had the assignment um and i like could not stop it was it was very quick i think we cleared emily and i uh we cleared season two in technically two days, but we got we knocked through seven episodes in a single day, and these are eight episode seasons. And I actually think episode length is is such an interesting uh, point of of debate in the TV world, where some shows just like they are going on way too long. Some shows you just don't feel like you have nearly enough. That's what Game of Thrones is, uh, you know, loudly accused of for its final season that those six episodes just are not enough. Uh, the Walking Dead that you and I talk about, Jess, 16 episodes a year is a lot. There's only 16 episodes total of the two seasons of Killing Eve because it's eight and eight. They're 40-ish minute episodes each. So it's just very propulsive. It's very fast. It's very deliberately paced. Every moment, it feels like it matters, even if it's just a scene of people eating shepherd's pie. That matters a lot. Um, and so I just I love the way that they convey information, sometimes in very mundane ways. It could be very pleasurable to watch. But this show also very much scratches like my Jack Bauer funny bone. Like there is something that is sort of like, you know, international espionage about the whole thing that really gets me excited. Um, and I know you and I were talking about this. I think we, we maybe mentioned this on the Walking Dead podcast the other week about how like 
Killing Eve is like a really supremely underrated travel show. <laughs> like the, yep. <laughs> like especially now, uh, like if if like travel porn is the thing that you need to get you going through quarantine, like they're gonna go to cool places. It's gonna be beautiful to behold if you're stuck in America, uh, stuck inside anywhere. Uh, it's just it, it's so scenic uh, and so just like it feels very epic in scope of like you've got a scene of Eve is uh, at an airport in Russia and then in the very next scene she's in Paris like just the the way that things are just like moving with that speed and hopping all across the world uh, certainly all across Europe um, it's just one of the great delights of the show. Uh, so yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, we could, we could, you know, sit here singing the praises of killing Eve for a very long time. And I think that that's the plan for the next eight weeks of coverage. Yeah. I, I'm excited to talk about a show that's unequivocally good. Um, yeah. I, and, no you know, reservations. You know, we've been very high on recent seasons of shows we have covered together. And certainly I'm coming off of both a pretty decent season of the walking dead and the first season of Picard, which is the best first season of any star Trek ever. So it's kind of an embarrassment of riches on my end right now, but this is kind of in a league above all of that. I think it's just, it's just such a pure delight from start to finish. And yeah. it's one of those things. I feel like the short number of episodes it, for, for British TV, this is a lot of episodes for one thing. Like yes. most British shows you have like six episodes in a season and they might be half an hour long. I think dramas, they sometimes tend to give you a couple more and they will be hour long episodes, but I think British TV is more accustomed to saying a lot with very little time. And I, I enjoy that kind of pacing on this show. And also I feel like every single time I've reached the end of a season, and I've run out of content. I felt like, where's the rest of it? I want more. Right. What's going to happen next. And they do that in a way that doesn't feel like they're deliberately ending it on a cliffhanger to make you mad. And they're not, they're they're putting it they're putting a bow on it in a satisfying way but there's still so much you want to know and so many places you think it could go next that you're still invested and you still want it whenever um but you know they've done a really good job of telling the story logically and not you know ending it on i'm not going to name any names here but for example, a big group of people and one person gets murdered and you don't get to find out who the person right, is who gets right, murdered right, right, for right. almost a year. Uh, yeah. I'm not going to, you know, the blind item there. The show is very fair. Uh, there is yeah. uh, to, to lightly spoil uh, Mr. Robot uh, at one point in Mr. Robot, uh, the, the main character played by Rami Malek gets shot in uh, in an episode uh, in, in the finale of a season uh, and a scene later. Uh, two other characters are talking about it and it's like he's in the hospital. So like even within the space of that episode uh, and and I spoke to Sam Esmail about that once upon a time and he was like, yeah, we're not going to like schmuck bait you. This is Mr. Robot. We're not going to kill the main character at the season two finale. That's not going to happen. What comes next from the character being shot? That's what's important. Doesn't matter that like we're not leaving you with a cliffhanger here in the finale. We're leaving you with like, oh, my God, the ramifications of the fact that he just got shot. And like, what's that going to mean? Um, and as you mentioned, Jess, like there are these acts of violence that close out seasons one and two, where the two main characters, Villanelle in the first season and even season two look like they are in very bad straits and like in, under normal circumstances you wonder how are they going to make it out of that alive but the show is about them both still being alive so you know that they are so it's not being set up as a cliffhanger it's being set up as decisions it's being set up as like culminations of all the choices that led them to those moments whether it's eve getting in bed with a serial killer and deciding to i could be a serial killer too let me just try and stab somebody and the ridiculous ramifications of something like that or if it's villain who's going to be heartbroken over effectively being dumped and the natural reaction that she as a psychopath is going to have is to shoot the person uh and it just so happens that eve's going to survive that because this is killing eve and eve's, eve's going to make it um so that's never really that's that that that, that feels that plays very fairly to me um and and i really love that about this show i think it's really smartly written they're very honest with the characters hopefully that continues here in season three um and i think we can we can get to the point where we continue talking 
into season three, I will just add really quickly. Uh, if all of that sounds interesting to you, obviously we've given you a little bit of season one and season two spoilers. If you haven't watched Killing Eve, I think you'll still really enjoy the show knowing the things that we've said. Um, check it out. It's on, uh, it's streaming on Hulu. Uh, it's going to be airing BBC America and AMC simulcast. I believe uh, 9 PM uh, is the time that the show is airing. We've got a, an email address for feedback. If you want to send in feedback, killing Eve at postshowrecaps.com. And eventually, not yet, we'll have a podcast feed available for Killing Eve. We just got to get that approved by Apple. Uh, that'll be postshowrecaps.com slash Killing Eve. We'll get you there. Uh, so lots of fun stuff happening here. That's going to do it in terms of just like hyping shit up. <laughs> Let's get into what actually happened. So this is your final spoiler alert. If you did not watch the season three premiere, slowly, slowly catchy monkey uh, that we are uh, quickly, quickly getting into spoiler territory and just say the thing that you've wanted to say for so long now. I, I feel like at this point, this has got to be everybody's first reaction, uh, but I get to be the one to do the very hashtag basic thing and you have say, the honors. oh, my God, they killed Kenny. You bastards. You bastards. Oh, my oh. God. Uh, yeah, this was tough. This was tough. Uh, this was hard. This I was love bad. Kenny. <laughs> it sucks. It sucks. It makes so much sense uh, from a story standpoint, but oh, it sucks. It's sad. I hate it. It's terrible. It's bad. Yeah. I mean, And on this show. There are really only two people that I would unequivocally say are 100% safe all the time. And anybody else could bite it at any point in time. Yeah, uh, the show has been pretty, uh, pretty good about that. I think like from the moment that like they killed Bill uh, in, mm -hmm. in season one, like Eve's best friend. Uh, and like they like open like her former boss or, or colleague or whatever. I, I was confused on the seniority there but i thought that he was uh, yeah he her. was her boss when they worked yeah. together at mi5 and then when they both rage quit yeah then then he came on when carolyn recruited eve said you can recruit other people right she recruited him and so then she was kind of technically his same level colleague or boss i'm not sure yeah. And so she she roped Bill into all of this. And then Bill, who was being set up to be like a really big, important character, gets killed in a really great scene at the end of episode three of the whole thing. Uh, and that really set a tone for me. Uh, I felt like anyone is in danger at this point because that just seemed like that was a long term character. And then a couple of episodes later, when they kill Frank, uh, the guy who's just like a total, you know, D wad. Uh, I kind of felt like we were just going to at least get him as like sort of a foil for much of the series. But no, he I guess he gets killed nicely, but then very mean things happen to his body postmortem. Uh, and so like once those two characters were killed in the first season, I really felt like, OK, I should be on alert for literally anybody to die at any given time. And I don't know if there's an example for you in season two that stands out as like one that felt quite that dangerous i think the death of kenny is the most dangerous death since those two season one deaths yeah it's been a while and of course we lost some characters between season one and season two that didn't die they just sort of went and worked somewhere else <laughs> right and i think that's also very interesting because i think a lot of shows that are workplace related which i would definitely term this a workplace drama in addition uh -huh, to a sure. show about <laughs> yeah. murder and espionage a lot of office politics to talk through <laughs> it's one of my favorite things about the show to be honest is the same, way that same. even people that work in this super secret glamorous spy operation also have to deal with the same mundane workplace bs as everybody else and as of this episode, it definitely hasn't gone away, even though Eve's not working for them anymore. But right. it does ring true that people just kind of come in and out of your office and some of them are there for a long time and some of them are there for a shorter time. And not everybody is there for 10 years like in the office. Yeah. And like you get mad at nepotism in real life. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, it's not a thing that you like. And Kenny being Carolyn's son, uh, you, you know, at first you're kind of like, oh, really? Like. I mean, I guess like he kind of proved himself at first because like you meet the Kenny character. You don't know he's Carolyn's son yet. You fall for Kenny because he's a sweet guy. Uh, and so like that's like how great of a guy Kenny is. Like you're not even mad at him that he has the job because his mom is in charge. Uh, everything about Kenny was just a delight. 
great character. He was the only one who has ever like really reasonably like personally mad and aggrieved with Eve about like, why are you doing this with Villanelle? Like, this is not something you should be doing other than like Nico, who, who like knows that something is amiss with Eve and eventually is like catching wind of, of who Villanelle is specifically. But at first that's just like marriage deterioration for like nebulous reasons that she's keeping secrets from him. Um, Kenny knows like the full score and he and Eve have like a friendship breakup in season two. Uh, and here he is just back for the first episode and they have like a friendship reparation for like five seconds she gets the toilet paper pick and then they get to hang out for a minute and then they're going to hang out more and poor kenny shouldn't been looking into the 12 that's it well he shouldn't have been doing it for like his other job i feel like there's got to be some kind of like nda you've got to sign when you stop working at mi5 and go work for bitterpill.com yeah Although I didn't quite get that. Like, was he actually trying to write something about this or was he doing it like when he was supposed to be doing other things? Because it looked like he was supposed to be writing an article about exploding seahorses or something. Yeah, I would expect that he's like running down a lead simultaneously. Like yeah. it's like a walk and chew gum, you know, but I, I, I think like it's more obviously personal for him. And it's been a while on the show since we've really been like digging too deep into the mythology of the 12, like the 12, the big organization that uh, Villanelle works for and is supposedly like tippy top of the spear in terms of like uh, there, there's that great line uh, in the in the I want to have dinner with you scene with <laughs> with Eve and Villanelle uh, where she says, like, if you go, if you probably go up high enough, we're working for the same person. Um, like we haven't really dealt with that in a very big way in a while, I feel like since season one. And now, like it, it's it's landing with authority here, uh, not to uh, visualize what happened to Kenny too harshly. Uh, it's really landing with impact here in the season three premiere. Yeah, and it definitely I think a lot of our a lot of our theories on where this season might end up going really went out the window with all of that. Yeah, but I think it it makes a lot of sense. And so so I have this postmortem that's up on on thr.com/killingeve right now. You can you can read it. Uh like the the mission statement behind killing off Kenny, uh according to the people involved is basically just like to reiterate no one is safe. It's the reality of our show. Uh but beyond that, after what happened to Eve in Rome and as they start arcing out, OK, where are we going to go? Suzanne Heathcote felt like it was really important that it's been a pretty tight timeline on Killing Eve through the two seasons so far. Things have moved pretty quickly. I don't know what you want to call that, like a couple of months, like a few months at most uh, have have passed in the, in the first two seasons of Killing Eve. Um, like no time at all passes between the, the season one finale and the season two premiere. So it's all like close continuity there. A lot of time passes between the end of season two and the start of season three. It's like at least like three-ish months, I think we're getting uh, like the feeling of. Months have passed at this point. They really want like consequences to come home to roost and they really want to be able to like dig into like how did Eve recover if she's recovering at all um, from what happened to her? How is Villanelle responding? I guess Villanelle's responding by just like getting married in <laughs> I, I need to know more about how all of that was possible. Uh, I don't know if like the show is ever going to give that to us or if it's just enough that it's a gag that Villanelle like responded to the breakup with Eve by going and getting engaged to somebody just like within the space of a couple of months. That's a very Villanelle thing to do. Um, but the idea being like, Eve's not going to want to be involved with MI6 anymore. Uh, she got shot over her allegiance to Villanelle. Uh, it seems like Nico is very deeply traumatized by everything. Like he's in some sort of like rehab center or something. It seems like uh, for his, his PTSD. Uh, if you haven't watched it in a while, uh, you maybe forget that like, that fellow teacher who had a big crush on Nico Villanelle killed her uh, because like, she's like, I can't kill Nico. Like that's unforgivable, but I could totally kill the teacher. So she like just, you know, she totally murdered the teacher. Uh, and Nico had to like wake up and see that. So he's obviously doing very poorly. Eve's life has exploded. Carolyn betrayed her, right? Like Carolyn said, hire Villanelle, but she explicitly cannot kill this guy that we're trying to arrest. Uh, but with the intention of like Villanelle is just going to do Villanelle things. Uh, she's like a dog chasing a car. She's going to have no choice but to kill this man eventually. 
Haley. And that's what she ultimately wants. And Eve is furious about that. So she doesn't trust Carolyn anymore. She doesn't trust Villanelle anymore. She's been shot by Villanelle. She doesn't trust the whole system. She's living in this four block radius here in New Malden in England, uh, working, you know, behind the scenes in a kitchen as a cook. Uh, And what's it going to take to keep the show going? Right. Like, what's it going to take to bring her back into like the engine of the show, which is serial killer shit? Like, how are we going to get Eve Pilastri back on that serial killer bullshit? And I think the way you do it it's is you serial kill, kill someone. You know, you kill a character that that matters a lot to her and also matters a lot to Carolyn. Like, I think it's pretty easy to see that these two stories will uh, will will tie back in together because both of them are losing somebody that they care about deeply. Yeah. I mean, I can still be pretty mad at it because I really loved Kenny as a character. He was a weird combination of like super good at his job and a very nice guy. You wanted good things for him. I do have to quibble a little bit with the kind of cheapness of this because I feel like this is a beat that happens in every single espionage thriller where someone gets just a little bit too close to the truth and then is dispatched right before they're about to reveal the truth to someone else. That's a little bit hacky to me. Although I see no, that was what Eve did to the guy in the season two finale. Yes, that was really hacky. That's true. And can I just say for a minute, we were talking earlier about how everybody makes the choices in the show that feel logical for the character. And what kind of show is this that the logical choice we're like, we watch Eve Plastery murders somebody with an axe and we're like, yeah, that makes that makes logical sense for the character. Big time. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, I I don't know how I feel about this sort of storytelling, and I'm sure they're going to bring it back around because it's never just that simple on this show. So I'm hoping that it's not going to that's not setting us up for like a John Grisham kind of season ahead of us. But I'm I'm sad to see him go. I see why it had to be him. I see how that brings everybody back together. Didn't love the way he went out. Yeah, I mean, I I think that that's fair. I think it's a mercy that we don't have to really see it. You know, like he falls. We see his body. That sucks. But given some of the ways that people have been murdered on this show, I think we got away pretty lucky with having to see like too much of a traumatic Kenny death. It wasn't great because this thing never is, especially when it happens to a character that you like. Uh, But I'm glad that like we didn't have to see like somebody dragging him out of bitter pill and, you know, bringing him to the roof and then throwing him off the roof or like, you know, torturing him for any extended length of time. Um, That would have been really, really tough to see with this character, because I think a, a piece of why they're doing it is because like. Kenny is uh, Kenny's got to be polling pretty high as far as like the most like universally approved killing Eve characters, just like not problematic, sweet kid, uh, you know, keeps his head down. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he doesn't he doesn't go through his stuff when he's asked to. I guess that may be the yeah. worst thing that Kenny's ever done. Probably the worst thing that he ever did was was research the 12 on what I imagined was like a not encrypted computer. Like, that's probably the thing. And he's a and hacker. Like, <laughs> he should know better, right? Yeah. And also, you're not supposed to use your work computer to do personal business. Come on, it's man. Bad call. Bad call. That never ends well. Uh, you want to be uh, get your own private server, though. Apparently that can be problematic as well, apparently depending on who gets a hold of that narrative. Um, so, I mean, it sucks. I'm, I'm sad about it, but I think, I think it does make sense. I think you're right that it's a little tropey. Um, you know, like kill, kill the agreeable character that ever that, you know, kill, kill a beloved character. And that's going to be the lifeblood that fuels everybody moving forward. But I think maybe given where they left the dynamic between Eve and Carolyn, um, and one of the things that I really appreciate about Killing Eve is its severity, right? Like, this is a very severe show. So what's, like, one of the most severe ways you can get Eve um, compelled to get back into the world of the Twelve, which is going to get her back into the world, inevitably, of Villanelle, um, kill somebody that she really, really cares about? We've been here before. It's happened already. But I think just, like, what are some of, like, the softer ways of doing that? That's what you see on a lesser show, I think. Uh, so, so I appreciate it here. I guess one of my concerns is like maybe we don't have the most 
robust support staff on on Killing Eve. Like you mentioned, um, there's, you know, kind of like the rotating colleague aspect of it. But that can be kind of fun, too. Like, it sounds like we probably aren't going to see Hugo for a while, who is part of the squad last year. Do we know what happened to Hugo? Is he dead? No, I think that. Yeah. So I so I wrote this down uh, in in the scene with Carolyn, uh, where she's hanging out with this new guy, Mo, who seems to be like her new number one, uh, that I guess Hugo he survived getting shot, but he's suing MI6. <laughs> <laughs> That's classic Hugo. <laughs> so he's gone, but like we've got this new character, Mo. Maybe he'll be fun. Um, Paul, the new boss who's in charge of Carolyn, they seem to have some history. He seems like a real shit. Uh, so that might be fun. So there may be some some opportunities here, especially like if we spend more time with Bitter Pill. It seems like we're going to. Um, that's the suggestion from the showrunners that Bitter Pill and the characters there will be a bigger deal this year uh, that, you know, they can grow out the cast a little bit more. Uh, and they're growing out the cast in the Villanelle storyline because uh, we get this new character, Dasha with whom we begin the season. Uh, we, we start with, and I don't know what, it, what you thought was happening with the cold open. Uh, did you think that this was like a Villanelle flashback or did you feel like, okay, so they're setting up somebody new here? Well, it was 1974. So clearly cannot be a Villanelle flashback because unless she looks really, really, really good for her age. Well, that was the moment where I was like, is this, uh, is this, is her this mother like, maybe? Or, or? or I was like, is this early aughts? Like, is this like, does the show take place in 2004? And somehow I just missed that. <laughs> Even then, like, I think Villanelle being born in 74 doesn't really make sense. So this was There's, like, this was I'm like bad in, at the math. Yeah. Jess. This is like in Lost when they said that one character was born in 1979, but she had like three PhDs and everybody right. went crazy. And they're like, no, 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 she's actually older than that. We just screwed up. But no, I was thinking this has to be, this has to be like, maybe it's Villanelle's mother. As soon as it said 1974, I'm like, okay, the timeline would work out for this person to have parented Villanelle later on, or it's somebody that, or maybe one of these people is someone we've already met. And no, it turns out it's a completely new character. This is Dasha and played in the present day by uh, Harriet Walter, which this is a show that you don't have any involvement with, Josh, but um there are many connections between the Killing Eve universe and the Call the Midwife universe. I have um, no idea what that is. Call the Midwife is one of my favorite shows. Uh, and I guess it's one of those things I could feel like everybody that you see in any kind of BBC production has either been in a Harry Potter thing or mm-hmm. has been on Call the Midwife. Uh-huh. <laughs> like that's every British actor ever. There's They've been in one or both. And Harriet Walter was actually... She had a several episode arc in Call the Midwife as Sister Ursula, who is maybe the most lawful evil nun that's ever been on television. <laughs> Amazing. She was just awful. And there's so many that like, kill the uh, call the midwife is such kill the midwife would be a different show. Call the midwife. That's the, that's the fusion. Yes, that's the fusion. That's the the Venn diagram has Harriet yeah. Walter in it. And it's such a cozy show. Like it is about like the hardships of 1960s London and it's not necessarily like it's not necessarily the most cheerful and cozy thing all the time, but you very rarely get someone on the show who's just like pure evil. And the whole time she was on it, you're just like, I hate you. I hate you. Get off my screen. I hate you. You're awful. And yeah. then she finally leaves and everything's okay again. And it's, it's a big relief. So I think this is going to be much the same situation. I think Harriet Walter is very good at playing this type of character. Yeah, Sister Ursula in yeah. in in Call the Midwife. Yes. I know I know her as uh Kendall Kendall Roy's mom on Succession. Uh she's Kendall and Logan and Shiv's mother on Succession. Uh so she's been on my TV radar recently, but I, I can't say that I really know her work outside of it. Obviously, she has a a very storied uh, uh resume. Um so uh we'll do uh, we'll do the deep we'll do the the Harriet Walter uh all show recap. Uh <laughs> will be our our next project uh as we move on from Killing Eve. Not actually definitely not happening. Uh but she's here as as Dasha and uh we see her in the past just like straight up kill a guy and like pour like flour all over him or uh, it's chalk it, actually. It's, it's chalk. It's, it's chalk, a gymnastics yeah. thing. You put chalk on your hands to do the bars. Oh, I guess just my quarantine brain sees that and sees flour. It's like, ah, precious flour. You're wasting it. <laughs> it's, that's gold <laughs> using. You don't know the street uh, value of that stuff, Josh. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, See, I, I do, actually. 
It's very expensive. Uh, it's very pricey. Uh, but she's great. Oh, my God. And it's really great to have um, to, to be like deepening uh, Villanelle's backstory, because obviously, like this is like the uh, uh, oh, my God, I'm blanking on who plays that character for Black Widow in Avengers Age of Ultron. But it's like the it's the same deal of like you're the person who yeah, you're the one who made me like you're the you're my killing mentor. Uh, and, and so finally, we're getting that in the scene where Dasha is introduced in the present day, which is at the wedding, uh, where where Villanelle gives the greatest speech of all time. She's like, uh, yeah, uh, I really liked her because she had a cool house and cool shoes. <laughs> like, that was the thing that attracted her to, to her now spouse. Well, the funny uh, thing, I love this scene when you put it next to like Constantine trying to make small talk with the woman in the gift shop. Yep. And it's kind of the same thing. Like they have that weird dark sense of humor and it just it just lands with a thud. And I I thought that was kind of emblematic of how Villanelle and Constantine are kind of cut from the same cloth. Like they both think things are funny that nobody else thinks is funny. Totally. Totally. Um yeah, they're great. Great characters. Yeah. It's it's this is a great one to have on board. And obviously because things between Constantine and Villanelle are not great right now, like right. where they last left things off. Uh once again, that seems to be another seasonal tradition. Is it gonna be a seasonal tradition that every season has to have like uh Villanelle and Constantine like kind of like regrouping but then ending on bad terms, and then Villanelle and Eve, one of them has to like mortally wound the other. So is it Eve's turn to stab Villanelle again by the end of season three? I don't know. Depending on how many seasons we get of this show, that could get a little repetitive. It could end up being one of those. I mean, not to this might be too soon, Josh. This might be one of those. Oh, my God, they killed Kenny kind of situations where you do it enough times. And it's like, well, we've run out of creative ways to do this where it still makes sense for the plot. Yeah. What if they don't, though? What if they keep coming up with really creative ways to have each season ending with Eve or Villanelle stabbing and shooting the other one. And, you know, they could do a twist where one of them might end the season mortally wounded two years in a row, or they mm-hmm. might both mortally wound each other. And yeah. that would be a big twist. Cause otherwise you're like, Oh, well this season is Villanelle's turn. And after that, it'll be Eve's turn. You, know, you don't want to get, you don't want to hit the same beats all the time, but I think we do end up, we're going to end the season. Like everybody's mad at each other. And then the season first half is all about like how we stop people being mad at each other and get them back on the same course. So the story for Villanelle this season seems to be like, she's, she's getting back in with the 12. The 12 is obviously a bigger picture idea this season. Uh, I think we, we very much assume that the 12 killed Kenny. We just like, we don't know who did it. Uh, is that a Villanelle job or is that somebody else? Are you, are you reading what happened to Kenny as like a big, like who done it mystery in terms of like the person that killed Kenny? Do you think that that's something that's going to be like a revealed or B we should know that already? I think that's immaterial. I don't think it was Villanelle. I don't think, I think Villanelle is very conscious of um, not wanting to upset Eve by, or at least she was last season. She might be totally off the rails now, but, and I think she doesn't know necessarily whether Eve is alive or dead at this point, but I think Villanelle would not go out and purposely kill somebody that Eve is close to or was close to. And I also think that, Villanelle and she couldn't is, do that without like knowing more about where right, Eve is at, too, right? And she she wouldn't be able to resist that. It's true. She she's not involved. I think that's safe to say. And I think Villanelle is also at her level. She's still a foot soldier, as we kind of learn while she's talking to Dasha. So I think it's got to be somebody at the twelve, and it's got to be somebody who is very much. Uh, I I don't think it really matters who it was. I think we're more interested in why it was and what was the thing that Kenny was almost getting to and how is everybody else going to find that out? Villanelle wants to be a keeper. She wants to be like really, really top level at the 12. Like Ron Weasley at Quidditch? (laughs) She's going to find the golden snitch. No, no, no. She's going to present. She's going to prevent the. 
I don't remember. Oh, the blood, oh, yeah, the no, bludgers yeah, 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 are the balls right, that right, injure right, people. Right, I don't know right, what the right, I don't know right, what the right. ball is that goes in the thing, but the keeper don't keeps add the balls. Us, Quidditch Twitter, stay away from us. Quidditch Twitter uh, is already on us. But <laughs> get out of here. Get out of here with that. Uh, she wants to be like a top level member of the twelve. Yeah. Zero chance this is going to happen, right? Like, is there any universe where, uh, unless she like kills the entire leadership and inherits the twelve, is there a universe where where Oxana can play by the book and become a Constantine or higher? No way, right? Like every other kill, she commits a firing offense. So I would say <laughs> that. I, I think the one scenario is she kills everybody and takes over, but that's yeah. not out of the realm of possibility. No, I would say that that's that's firmly like in like the nucleus of the realm of possibility. That's kind of like <laughs> she'd have her Oren Ishi moment. Yeah, yeah. Like I think that that feels uh, that feels probable. In fact, I would yeah. say. Yeah, it does seem probable. I don't know exactly what a keeper does. But I assume it's it's a fairly important job. It's higher up than Constantine. Right. Know that. Yeah. And we know that he's got a, you know, a, well, he doesn't seem to be enjoying his life so much. He's stuck in Britain, right? Like he's stuck in London. He hates London. He's getting the, the fridge magnets. He's like, yeah, I'm getting them for someone who I don't like. Uh, he does not he does not seem to be having such a fun time. Uh, and it seems like he's like kind of getting like bounced around from handler to handler pretty much since um, since the Russia incident in season one, like basically ever since he got shot. Uh, Constantine has just been like doing his best to just like stay afloat. Um, so it's not hard for, I think for Oksana to have a, a better gig than Constantine. He's yeah. got a pretty rough job right now. So I want to ask a question about Constantine. Um, he, we see him very briefly. And I think a lot of this episode is really just like, where did we leave everybody? Where are they now after several months? How are we getting them all back together? Constantine gets some food delivered to him. And is this a coincidence that he is getting Chinese food or is this maybe are we pointing him at Eve somehow? He gets a message on his takeout that says time to go fishing. Uh, who is sending him this takeout? Is this totally a coincidence that he's getting takeout and Eve is working for a restaurant? Um, may maybe not. Uh, certainly possible. I think that if they're both still London based, then the odds of them having some continued interaction are, are decent. Um, but here, here's one to consider, actually. Would Constantine kill Kenny? He might. That might you know, be. I, that would be tough because he's very close to Carolyn. And, uh, yeah. you know, Carolyn, Carolyn has helped him out of a lot of jams. They've got a lot of history together. But if Constantine is still under the thumb of the 12 and the 12 sends him a message of, like, time to go kill this person who's snooping around. And, like, if someone's going to, like, lure Kenny to a rooftop, could Constantine do it? Because he's something of a known quantity to Kenny. Um, just if there's, like, a, this is a somebody, the, the person who killed Kenny is somebody you know. Like Constantine would be on the very short list of people to the point that like he might be the only person on that list for me. I can't see him doing that to Carolyn, but if it is somebody, it probably is him. And that would make sense given where we saw that scene in the episode and kind of what happened next. Yeah. So, so I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It's, I don't know. it's, it's a good question. Um, Kill of the week has to go to uh, is does it go to Dasha or Villanelle? Like it's, does it go? Is it the original or is it the remake? The original or the remix? It's a good question. Um, you know, it's kind of the same kill. I, I had I had some questions about this kill in Girona um, with this woman keeping a small family business going. It sure seems like, and again, uh, one of the targets. In season one was Frank, who also seemed like fairly small potatoes. So it just seems to me that this woman maintaining a family run spice shop in a smallish town really seems like she'd be off the radar radar of the 12. And it was kind of surprising that this is the assignment that Villanelle gets, because it, it seems to me that you really wouldn't necessarily go after someone who's selling spices for a living i mean maybe she's doing something else on the side and that's why she was a target or maybe there's like maybe the spice cartels are mad at her or maybe there's a mm -hmm. rival shop <laughs> i am not really sure but this seems like this is a kindly middle-aged woman running a small business why do the 12 care 
But I, I think so. So obviously she has to be involved in something that we don't know about. And one of the things that the 12 seemingly is doing by design is like they're playing like global murder Jenga where like <laughs> they're like trying to like knock out pieces that are going to destabilize the tower. But they're trying to control when the tower falls and who's the person responsible for pushing it so that they are the victors. Uh, and so like, this might just be like one of those like errant loose pieces that they have to knock out for the next stage of, of the Jenga game. But that's often like who's getting killed on this show. Like Frank, like what's the pattern? The pattern is often like a little hard to determine. Yeah. Um, but so other this- people that have died for the most part, you can see the pattern, right? And this one you can't. So yeah, I, and I also can't tell, like maybe this is like, you know, it's not the e-ticket ride of murder assignments right off the bat. She's right. kind of working her way back in. So. Yeah, we're just like slowly uh, on-ramping Villanelle back into the to the high-stakes world of international assassinations. Uh, right. So s- start with the Spice Dealer. Uh, I hope you're right, though, in that season three is like uh, the season of the Spice Wars. Uh, so, so many great stories hinge on Spice Wars. Uh, it's true. Spice must flow. Yeah, Dune, Spice Girls. So, you know. <laughs> Those are the only two you can think of. Yeah, that's it. Hey, Spice uh, so. is a commodity traded in the, the greater Star Wars universe. I, I'm aware. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, maybe it, maybe spice it is. Spice is the spice of life, you know? So, uh, it's already a spy show. Let's turn it into a spice show. And maybe we just misunderstood all along. <laughs> maybe it's always been a spice show. It's not impossible. Um, we should probably talk a little bit more about Eve and like where she's at than we than we have because obviously like we we can draw a pretty clear line of like how Kenny's death is going to impact Eve and how that is going to push her further onto the path. Like this is the classic tropey thing of your friend is dead. He was researching a thing. Now you must complete his work. Uh, so clearly, like that's what's going to happen with even Kenny to a certain degree. Um, but how do you feel about like where Eve is at at this point in time? She's in New Malden, which I guess has like the the largest Korean population in England, I believe. Um, she's living like a pretty tight life, just like booze and instant noodles, and that's it. And work and work is just like chopping up short ribs and chickens, just like really tactile, physical stuff. Um, but like a really, really tight life that she's living post uh villanelle and i guess we find out that she survived because a bunch of tourists just like found her lying around um but i don't think that i had a lot of clarity on like how did she get the hell out of all the trouble that she must have been in oh it seems like she got fired right i'm guessing it's just like how'd she not get arrested is my question well a lot of this was covered up because the business that she was in was this business ordered by carolyn to for her and Villanelle to go in and kill this guy. And I think that MI, MI6 must have done a pretty good job of covering its tracks in that regard. So any crimes that she committed, and I think this is true of every movie about crimes ever, where you watch the good guys like do all this property damage and like murder people with impunity, and and you really don't ever see them have to answer for any of that. That's kind of... That's kind of the M.O. of this genre, Josh. Yeah. It's really like they they covered everything up very neatly. The one guy I feel really sorry for is the guy that was supposed to have a date with Eve that night. Mm -hmm. And she just never showed up. And he's going to go through life now feeling like he was just stood up. Yeah. What was that guy's deal? He just came to the hotel just like to ask Eve on a date. That was it. I, I think I think everybody thought that he was a bad guy because he looks like a bad guy and he had that very like guy Ritchie film accent. And I think she assumed he was working for the opposition. And then it just turned out he was like a tourist <laughs> asking directions and wanting to take her on a date. That's great. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's why this show is awesome. Like yeah. sometimes it's just like blindside too. It's just like great, great comic timing. Uh, that's wonderful. That's really great. Poor Nico. Nico's yeah. doing poorly. He's in, uh, he's in a bad way. Uh, he's like not he's not happy with I, and this speaks to your point of like the neatness of the cover up uh, that Eve is, you know, not being like arrested because she's like tied too closely to the stuff. If that's what they do, uh, that like even this person who's been assassinated by Villanelle, the teacher, um, it, it's been, I think, labeled a suicide. Right. Like that's what that's what like her her family thinks that she killed herself. 
And uh, Eve's like trying to get Nico to be like on board with the idea of like, it's better for family doesn't know. And Nico has kind of been like dragged into this level of espionage. Like this wasn't Eve's thing before, you know, she was never really like in the midst of this much danger until the Villanelle stuff. Yeah. And it's really been very interesting, I think, to see how Villanelle has caused the implosion of their relationship. And I also think it really speaks a lot to the writers who have thought about how this would logically affect somebody like Nico, because I, we were just talking about this, like you don't ever see actual repercussions of things that happen in movies and television in this genre. Like, you know, people die and the people responsible for their deaths, if they're the good guys, you just kind of never see the fallout from that. And with Nico, you are seeing him actually have what the reaction that any normal human being would have to witnessing something like that. It is just like torn him apart. And I think that is really powerful to watch, especially contrasting that with the way that Eve has reacted to everything because both of them have been impacted by it. Both of them are reacting to it, but you see the way that Eve has evolved over the course of these two seasons and where she's at now and you see how it just kind of destroyed Nico psychologically to be a part of any of this. Yeah. Yeah. Hates it. Yeah. I mean, any of us watching our coworker get murdered in front of us and having to discover the body. After Feels some, like that would be tough. That would yeah, be tough. Be, that would send us all to therapy. That one would be hard. That would yes. be hard. That would be hard. That would be hard. Not uh, good. So, so he's having, he's having, he's having a tough time. And, uh, this is, you know, these are some of the consequences that Eve is having to live with by the choices that she made to get closer to Villanelle to, you know, um, not be able to, uh, to, to like separate the, the, the personal with the, with the professional, um, the questions that she has about herself. I think that a lot of this was like her wondering, am I a psychopath? Am I a psychopath? And I think like the answer has been, no, you're not. Uh, she's, you're sure fascinated by them and look at, look at what's happening. So, yeah, but on the other it, hand, you did kill a guy with an ax and you're not in therapy for it. So there's you did, that. You, you did ax murder somebody. And I am curious to know what the ramifications of that are going to be. Uh, but, but poor, poor Nico, uh, what did, what did Villanelle call him once upon a time, a piece of fudge with a mustache on yes. it? Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a brutal takedown. <laughs> it's, it's very but hard. It's not inaccurate. <laughs> Oh, I like fudge. So I like Nico. Uh, so it works for me. Um, anything else from the premiere that that stood out to you? I really do think, you know, mostly this is this is setup stuff. Like, let's just set the deck. This is clearly where we're going. We're back with the 12. Kenny's dead. What's that going to do? That's going to get Eve and Carolyn back in, in place. I guess maybe for me, a little less clear on like, how will Eve and Villanelle collide again? Um, and when will that happen? Because that's inevitable. But are we talking like a couple of episodes? Are we talking about like that's a that's finale territory? Like, what do we think is going to be going there? Like, that's one that's one thing that I think that the episode didn't really illuminate for me at all. Yeah, I and I think I think we're supposed to be wondering these things at this point. I don't think I don't think we're meant to feel like the path is clear right now. And I think. We, we've got a lot of ground to cover, and I think whenever it does happen, we will be surprised. Yeah. Um, I had one other tiny detail that I wanted to point out because I feel like this was something the first time I watched the episode, I was kind of curious about why this was. And then the more I thought about it, when I went back and watched it again, it made perfect sense to me. I think the question of why you would dump a bunch of fine powder over someone's face after you murder them, as we saw happen twice this episode and the more I thought about it, the more I'm like, yeah, this is actually a pretty good thing to do. If you're going to you're going to beat someone to death, you want to make sure there's no margin of error there. You don't want them to wake up. You don't want to have just like cold cocked them. So if you dump a bunch of flying powder on their face and none of the powder moves, you know, they're not breathing and you know, they're dead. So I thought that was a very neat way. Oh, wow. I, I see oh, why man. they did that. It's a little scary that you put that together. Yeah, well, I think I think in order to really get deeply into this show, it does sort of make you wonder if maybe you are a little bit of a psychopath yourself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I got to start thinking in that in that way. I think that that's got to be like uh, we got to really like break down like the psycho moves of the week. 
I think that that's got to be a recurring segment on the podcast. I'm into it. Maybe somebody can write us a little bit of music because, you know, this is a new podcast. We don't have any theme songs (laughs) yet. And then, you know, we will lose the file for it and have to sing the song ourselves after a couple of weeks. that's fine. That's fine. Also, this is, uh, the show is uh, based on uh, a series of novels, the Villanelle novel series by Luke Jennings. I have not read them, so there's going to be no book club spoiler zone or anything like that. Uh, And Jess, I, I have no idea if the uh the show like closely is following the books or if the books uh just like exist as their own totally separate thing um i don't know if you have any insight on that um i bought the first book intending to read it before we got into this i haven't gotten there yet but i plan to read the books and see my impression is that they are not terribly close to the show they're just sort of a jumping off point probably the closest analog is the dexter novels um which sure. You know, you had that first season where they followed the first book. And then after that, like the books got super weird. So they kind of didn't mess with them anymore. So I will read them and I'll report back. And if we want to have a book club later on, we certainly can do that. But right now I haven't gotten there yet. And I suspect that we will not gain any further insight into where we think this might be going based on those novels. Yeah, they're very short uh, the first one is 36 pages. The second is 56. The third is 49. And the fourth is 48 pages. Uh, villa novellas, uh, Jess. Yeah, I was going to say it's a. I feel like a villanelle is a short poem and, a, you know, this is a <laughs> short novel. It's a short novel. Um, all right. Well, I'm really excited to be in the Killing Eve space with you, Jess. I think that this is going to be a really, really fun podcast. I, I loved the premiere. Um, I, I hear the concerns about, like, is this just a little tropey? I think it, it makes sense in terms of getting these characters to collide again. And now that it's happened, what will the what will the fallout of the collision look like? That's what I'm most excited about. Uh, and they they brought a great new character into the mix with Dasha. And I love that dynamic between Dasha and Villanelle. When Villanelle just like tackles Dasha at the wedding, he's like, you're ruining my special day. Uh, it was just absolute, absolute delight. Uh, so it seems like there's some cool new characters that are in the mix. Uh, and obviously the stakes are pretty high with killing off uh, an OG main character like Kenny. So uh, high alert as we are, as we are launching into season three. Yeah. And I, I have to say, uh, you know, when I've gotten very into particular television fandoms, I cannot resist or sometimes have it foisted upon me, like spoilers about cast members departing or, you know, back in the lost days, for instance, you kind of you knew that certain characters were going to die because they got arrested for drunk driving and ended up getting <laughs> booted from the show. And I am coming into this show so fresh that I don't have any of that knowledge in any of those. Same, news. So same. anytime somebody dies. It is a huge shocker. And so I'm going to try to stay away from all of that. I mean, obviously, I will read some of your wonderful press coverage, Josh. Ah, just click the link, you know, yeah, keep I'll, the lights on. Keep I'll the lights click on. it and then I'll just close right out of it as soon as I feel like Google Analytics has registered that I've read it. Um, yeah, that's great. Yeah. So I feel like maybe getting away from all of that news about upcoming casting and new twists might actually enhance my enjoyment of this. So. I'm going to endeavor to not be spoiled about anything that ever happens on Killing Eve. Yeah, and and I think that that's very doable, and I think that we can keep a lot of that forward-looking stuff out of here if it's like stuff that I have to cover for work. Uh, so I, I think we're going to be safe here, and I, by and large, agree with you. This is a show that I devoured very, very quickly, very, very recently. So it's kind of this funny thing. I wonder if you have a similar experience with it, Jess, that like I feel like very, very, very connected to the show and the characters right now. Like I feel like... I know them pretty well right now because it's also fresh in mind, but it is also fresh in mind in that way where like things are kind of like amorphous and I don't remember what happened where or what specific thing happened. Like there is a little bit of like a blurry quality to it, but like I feel like I know that blurry thing very, very well at the same time. I feel like it's sort of like when you meet someone on vacation and you hang out with them through your whole vacation. Yes. It's like you feel like you're really close friends with them now because you've been through this thing together. And yeah. I feel like maybe I've been on vacation in my quarantine with um with this show. And I, I felt the same way. Actually call the Except midwife. It's like we we took we 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 like abducted them after the vacation and like <laughs> took them yeah. back with us and like we let them out of the basement once a week to talk to us about what's going on in the basement. Basically, that's a pretty good that's a pretty good <laughs> thing. Don't ever go on vacation with Josh Wigley, people. <laughs> 
but I, I was the same way over Call the Midwife, honestly. Like, I binged the whole thing in the span of a few weeks, like eight seasons of it. And every time someone died or left the show or there was a big shocking twist, I, it was fresh for me. And I had not talked about it with anybody. And it just I just felt so much more connected to it. So I kind of say that if if you can do that with a, with one or two shows – in the course of your TV watching diet, I think it's a really healthy way to experience a show. And I think it does help you bond with it. Um, all right. So we got a lot going on on Post Show Recaps in addition to the Killing Eve coverage, which again, postshowrecaps.com slash Killing Eve. That'll be available for you ASAP for your feed, but you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, and Killing Eve at postshowrecaps.com, our feedback address. You can also hit us up on the Twitters at postshowrecaps is the main account. I'm at Round Howard. Jess is at Haymaker Hattie. So let us know if you if you're if you're in, if you're on board for the Killing Eve. Uh, we want to hear from you guys. We want to hear your theories, all of that good stuff. But yeah, just a ton going on on Poster Recaps right now. This has launched. We're doing Everything is Super, which is a Marvel Cinematic Universe rewatch. We're doing uh, the, the Lost rewatch continues with myself and Mike Bloom. Uh, we've started some Final Fantasy VII remake coverage, which is really, really fun for me. Better Call Saul is ramping up for the end game. Uh, and Jess, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, I've heard rumors that there may be some Star Trek shenanigans in the not terribly distant future. Oh, yeah. Mike Bloom and I have cooked up some Star Trek shenanigans. Uh, the big boss, Rob Sestronino, will be joining us for said wow. shenanigans. Uh, we're hoping to record later this week and have it for next weekend for you guys. All right. So so keep an ear out for all of that. We'll be back next week talking about Killing Eve Season 3, Episode 2. I wonder what the title is. I'm going to look that up right now. Is that is that fair enough for you to, to know the titles, or do you not even want to know the titles? I'm happy to know the titles, and actually, okay. since I watch them on the same platform you do, I can see the titles anyway. The titles are great uh, for this show. I just I just love the title. I mean, like, uh, slowly, slowly, catchy monkey. What a strange thing. Uh, episode 2 of Season 3, Management Sucks. I think we know where that's going. <laughs> Yeah, because that's what Villanelle wants, right? Like she wants to be a manager. Uh, yeah, and, and we got that. We got that bespectacled douchebag that's that's riding Carolyn. We're gonna yeah. see some parallel paths next week, and so. they're all gonna have the same theme. I think so too. All right, we'll be back next week talking about episode two of season three of Killing Eve. Until then, everybody, take care. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>